Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Is is one of those very typical situations of a player that is exceptionally talented, but has the potential to be a bit of a knob as well for one of the better phrase. <laughs> yeah. It is Sunday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Sunday, fun day. And the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Hennich. Evening. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, guys, and listening to the podcast. If you do enjoy the front three, remember to go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps new people find the podcast, and we also read every single one of them. Our favorite review, as always, will be comment of the week on Wednesday's podcast. As for tonight, though, in part one, we're going to be reviewing all the weekend's Premier League action, while in part two, we'll be talking some of the news you may have missed, including Blackpool protests. FIFA 2.0 and Mauro Icardi's latest off-the-field controversies. First off, let's start, though, in England. Lawrence, where should we go? Let's go for Chelsea 3, Leicester 0. Did you know, Lawrence, Leicester have actually lost one more game than they suffered in the entirety of their title-winning campaign already this what a fact. That is a great stat. Fantastic. That's, you know, that's the stat bombs we drop in Dave's absence. Um... Chris, that stat speaks for itself. People are continuing to talk about the absence of Kante and Ranieri's struggling to find solutions, isn't it, Chris? I think you think the system has to change. And yet I watched those goals that they conceded. The Diego Costa one is, I think even Sunday League would be a compliment at this stage. The fact that he loses them so easily, it, it it does lead me to one thought, though, and that is that there have been very subtle rule changes from last season to this relating to what you can do to an opposition player, how you can kind of hold them and things like that. I have a sneaking suspicion that, that has impacted things massively because I watched Leicester a few times um, in person last season and they were quite notorious for holding kind of just niggling little things that really should have been flagged up at the time but weren't. And I think that's had an impact. Their two two central defenders uh, were were in great physical shape last year. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to go from that and then continue that. Um, And I imagine there are quite a few people out there who almost feel like they're up for the challenge. Maybe there's a sense of inertia around Leicester as well. Maybe one which kind of explains a bit why they get away with it in the Champions League. Not get away with, but sort of have a very different uh, approach to the Champions League. 
I was going to say, yeah, because it's six out of six uh, in the Champions League for Leicester. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, Lawrence, um, a, a great win for them, admittedly against a team who, are, who as we are saying, are struggling this season. Um, what did you make of their performance? Um, certainly an improvement. It certainly looked like a post-international uh, break performance, one where a couple of the players looked reinvigorated, refreshed, happy to see their new positions. Certainly there were time to drill, look at some of the problems. Conte will similarly have done so. Um, I, I still feel that there's problems at Chelsea just for the overall squad, the construction of it. I think that would change if Conte is given the time and he, sh- he probably should be. I also think they switched to the right number of players at the back uh, against Leicester. I, I also just think this is the perfect game for them to come back from the international break with. I, I still think with a bigger challenge, though, then they're going to suffer against other teams. That's part of the problem is they've come back and you know Leicester have been taken apart by other sides. So why... Why should Chelsea not take them apart as well if they set up, like Kristen says, even though vaguely like the Sunday League way? Um, Costa enjoys that sort of challenge against a back line like that. It was almost a, a good one to return with. Um, so, fine. But you know, still, I, I still think it leaves big gaping questions over Chelsea and the longevity of a side like this. I mean, Chris, a lot has been made of that switch to the 3 4 3 formation and things are looking up now for Conte back-to-back wins in the Premier League yeah I think so I think what his arrival has done is hold very much a spotlight up to the squad and how good it is and I think it's in a perhaps not by design more luck has has highlighted how frail the Chelsea squad has been and how much there has been a need for for sort of regeneration reinvigoration in in the, the players because I think we've talked about before there's a few who are just too young. Um, there are a few who are too old. And let's be realistic. I don't think Chelsea can keep just spending money at the the fairly frightening rate that they have in previous seasons. I mean, they spent, what was it, 90 million the other year? It's it's not sustainable to do that, realistically. Um, I think you have to, to actually start to rely on youth academy. And the thing is, as well, you look at guys like Lewis Baker, who are doing good things at Vitesse, and you think that should be someone in the Chelsea first team at some point, but how do you break into that? You've got to think that this slump at least facilitates the potential for some of those lads to break in, which is a good sign. Yeah, I mean, looking forward to Leicester's uh, Champions League game this week. It's, ah, they're coming up, um, they're coming up against a team who have apparently uh, been unbeaten in the last 23 matches in all competitions. Wow. This is, this is Copenhagen. Yeah. That is quite yeah, yeah, stunning. Yeah. I sort of wanted to leave you. I was leaving you the sort of um, <laughs> up the back of that. Um, really impressive. They, they, I mean, it's, uh, twenty-three matches, pretty incredible. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm confident that Leicester are going to come up with a challenge here. I think Leicester may come away beaten from this one. Let's move on to Arsenal then. A 3-2 win over Swansea at home in Bob Bradley's first game as Swans manager Chris. Arsenal now 10 games unbeaten since their opening day 4-3 loss to Liverpool. They made it a lot harder than they should be. It was classic Arsenal in that sense. Uh, probably should have been you know, a few more goals up through Theo Walcott, for example. But you were impressed with what you saw in, in Bob Bradley's first game, first off? Yeah, the, the, they had a fair few chances, actually, Swansea. Mostly when... Xhaka went off with the red card, so that shouldn't yeah. be a huge surprise, I guess. The fact they were able to create that stuff, the fact that Mordi Barrow looked as 
maybe not decisive, but as as influential as he did without actually, you know, doing a great deal in terms of end product. The fact he was involved maybe is the best word for it. That's a good sign. And I think, look, Bradley touched on it himself. The the idea that they've seen things they can improve on. I don't think they're glaring errors for the most part. There's a few instances where, I mean, the Ozil goal, they just don't get out quick enough. Um, the Walcott goals, they're... They're not ideal, but I think they're they're fixable long term. And yeah. it, it is. It's his first game in charge against a very good opponent. I don't think there's any shame in, in what he achieved in that sense. It's give it six weeks and then I think if, if they're in the same position you can start to say, Okay, this is a bit of an issue. Yeah, as you say, Chris, Swansea had a few good chances to nick a point at the end. Uh those chances coming after Granite Xhaka received a red card. He's now the most red carded player in Europe. Uh, over the past few seasons. But was it a red? That's the question. A lot of debate over this one on Twitter. It was quite a cynical foul, I think it's fair to say, uh, from Xhaka. But people saying it should have been a yellow, Lawrence. Dark yellow. Dark, I think a dark, dark, dark yellow, yellow is what Wenger said. Yeah. She can't see the doctor Shouldn't about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it, it, I, I'm inclined to agree because it was a cynical professional foul, I think. Um, but it was tackled from behind uh, yeah. by the etc i did love that jackie oatley said to from bbc said to arsene wenger i take it you saw this one that's just such a good line isn't it i mean i don't i don't think it'll get taken back you know it's by the letter of the law etc etc um it didn't hinder them though let's put it that way there's a potential bigger picture as well though with this result for arsenal and that is and I, i don't know if we'll be able to come to the conclusion to it now is this is arguably the kind of game they would lose. I don't think they had a great record against Swansea going into this. And so... No, they didn't. They're a bit of a bogey team. Do you look at it as they struggled over the line and made it difficult? Or do you look at it as they got a result when really the previous iterations of this team wouldn't? And that bodes well for a title rush. Yeah, it could be viewed either way. I think for Arsenal, it would be a massive positive for now to get those three points after such a nervy finish to the game. And they created so many chances, Chris, which I think is is a big positive for them. On the other hand, Theo Walcott was on the end of a lot of those chances, and he wasn't exactly clinical in front of goal, despite getting two uh, in the back of the net and, and taking his tag to five for the season in eight games, which is, of course, uh, impressive in and of itself. On the other side, you always have that that. Fear with Theo Walcott, that concern over his finishing. He at least should have had four, two golden opportunities he should have put away. One he was a little bit more unlucky with. But it means Theo Walcott, despite being impressive this season, is still a frustrating player, Chris. I I think for a long time I considered him a very instinctual striker. And one thing I always used to say is is if you give him time to think in a a one-on-one situation or a, a kind of attempt to take on that's usually how you stifle him because he overcomplicates it in his own head and yet that attempt is very instinctual it, it comes to him on the fly I just I mean he's never he's only hit double figures in his career for Arsenal once in the league if I've got if I remember that correctly that's correct I don't think he gets much better than this I think he probably starts to hit double figures maybe but not anywhere close to 20. I think it's 13s, 14s, maybe around that mark. And that's just the thing with him. He's he's a he's essentially a striker winger hybrid. He's he's this awkward kind of position that you can't really work out because he hasn't he hasn't filled out in the same way that Thierry Henry is uh, or did. Sorry. I think he's actually a little bit smaller than Henry height wise as well. So 
their, their body shapes are very different. But he's been given a number that has a, a very strong association at Arsenal. Doesn't mean you're going to get the same player. You know, there's there's numerous cases of that down the years where a number becomes so associated with a player that it's hard to to break out the idea that their replacement is not like them and is not them in the same instance. Mm. Six wins in a row then for Arsenal, uh, joint top elite essentially with with Manchester City. Um, so it was a good result for them to cling on. I'm sure they gave uh, plenty of Arsenal fans a heart attack at the Emirates. Um, looking ahead to midweek, uh, the Champions League. Lawrence, they're playing Ludogorets. Yes, uh, obviously. Um, this did you know, Adam, that they um, Ludogorets? I mean, Ludogorets have kept one clean sheet in their last ten times they've played, and they've conceded thirteen goals in that time. And that gives me hope because I like Alexis Sanchez and where he plays right now. And after the one game ban last time, Olivier Giroud will be back. So Arsene Wenger has options, and I can see goals for Arsenal. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, as, as good a form as Ludogorets are in, because apparently they've only lost one of their last 12 matches in all competitions and won eight of those, I still think Arsenal will come off the back of that uh, with, a, with, a, with a good performance. So I think Arsenal will come away with a win here. And, and they're at home at the Emirates, so good. In the league then, Arsenal still above Spurs, despite Mauricio Pochettino's team maintaining their unbeaten start to the season with a point at West Brom. Former Spurs man Nasser Chadley opening the scoring. He reacted quickest after Hugo Lloris saved. Well, it was a world-class save, essentially, from a corner. Uh, he pounced to give West Brom the opening. Deli Alley poked home the equaliser. His third goal in his last five games, meaning Spurs are now within a point of Manchester City. Not too much to say about this one, Chris. I mean, Spurs march on. Gary Lineker is a fairly interesting point about Nasser Chadley and whether Spurs might regret letting him go. You're, I'm going to guess the best person to ask this really is as a Spurs fan, are you at all disappointed to see him go? Or was it purely a case of he was just never going to be the right fit for, for you guys and what you needed? I was a little bit disappointed to see him go because I, I, I am a fan of Nash Chadley. I think there were the doubts over how uh, how clinical how clinical he could be. Obviously, he's proven that wrong uh, at West Brom. He scored as many goals you know, at the start of this season as he did in the past, I think, 30 games for Spurs. But I think he needed to, to move on to... To get that chance, really, to be playing week in, week out, and to be in the starting eleven, I think him moving on has given people like Hyung Min sort of chance in the starting lineup for Spurs. So, you know, I think it's easy to say, you look at the way he's performing and say, maybe we should have kept him. But I think at the end of the day, it suited all parties essentially. So, he didn't play centrally often either, did he? No, no, no. He was always on the left. Um, well, usually on the left. Um, but that's obviously where Hyung Min has sort of started a few games this season. So. I'm not too upset. I was upset to see him score. He did the old classic, I'm not going to celebrate, sort of uh, half celebration. Um, but Spurs, uh, third in the league now. Um, of course, travelling to Leverkusen on Tuesday night, uh, aiming to, to get the three points that would mean, well, be a big step towards them reaching the knockout stages. They're currently second in their group uh, with three points behind Monaco. Uh, they'll be looking to build on that win against CSKA, that vital win at CSKA. Uh, in the Champions League. Leverkusen, a tough opponent, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling confident. I am feeling confident. This one's true. I mean, Leverkusen are 10 matches. They're 10 matches unbeaten at home, Adam. Oh, bloody hell. And they've won seven of those. Oh, bloody hell. Now I'm not I so read confident. Read these anymore. off a bloody script. <laughs> now I'm not so confident anymore. Um, what, how do you think it's going to go, Lawrence? Who's your money on? If, if Spurs, we'll put it this way, if Spurs still had Nasser Chadley, I'd pile all my money on. <laughs> then they'd be absolutely sure thing to win. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously, I like Leverkusen. Um, you know, there might be a bit of a hipster choice in the Champions League this season, um, but Spurs could also be marketed. Both these sides could be marketed as the hipster's choice somewhat this season uh, in the Champions League. Not least because uh, Wembley is one of the more beautiful places. Um, which way do I? Which one do I want to choose? I want to choose England to win. England win this one. 2-1 and end that unbeaten run. Cautiously optimistic, then, we'll say. Uh, I want to move on, Lawrence, to talk about Stoke 2, Sunderland 0, and specifically Joe Allen. Once the Welsh Javi, he's now the Welsh Messi Lawrence. Um, a change of position for him from Mark Hughes, and he's thriving at Stoke. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in looking to sell... Uh, Joe Allen, Liverpool uh, sort of freed him up from what he'd been at Liverpool, which was a sort of a vaguely maligned player because he never, you know, he could never play in the advanced role that maybe he probably wanted to. He was always seen as playing a little bit deeper. I think Klopp saw a lot of those qualities, and Liverpool saw some of the some of his better attacking football. Um, uh, and I think he eventually it must have been. A, frustrating experience because I imagine that he knew what he could achieve but wasn't always allowed to do that at Liverpool because there were always people who seemed to be ahead of him in the pecking order um, and then yeah like you say his position changed when he went to Stoke um, and I, I don't actually think of the position that he gets into as particularly Joe Allen uh, positions now but when you look at it then it's very clear that he's been given an MO out on the pitch and I think that is working for the side now um, a lot of things go to and through him and it's it's really satisfying to watch because essentially what we're seeing is Brendan Rodgers being vindicated on his use of the phrase Welsh Javi. The Welsh Javi. Too often, too, very rarely in the game can we say that Brendan Rodgers is vindicated. Let's do it as often <laughs> Let's as Let's celebrate it the few times we can do it. Um, Let's celebrate vindication, the vindication of Brendan Rodgers, which is also what I believe his own autobiography will be called. <laughs> That would be fantastic. That really would. Um, it was the first win of the season for Stoke, of course, Chris. Um, a big game. It was a, a relegation six-pointer with Sunderland down there as well. Um, that is their sixth loss of the season for Sunderland, though. Um, things looking ever bleaker uh, for the Black Cats. Yeah, there's some there's some nasty stats right now. I mean, Newcastle actually won a Premier League game more recently than Sunderland did. That's how bad it is, I think. Funny how you got that one out. I think there's one, this is the first time since 1905, 1906 that a team in the top division has failed to win any of their opening six uh, games for three years in a row. Um, their, their slow start is, it's dangerous in its consistency. And I think when it does eventually cost them and they're relegated, because I do think they will be relegated, we'll look to that as a, as a really worrying trend through all the seasons. And, you know, it's it's perhaps timely in all the wrong ways that uh, Gus Poirier spoke to Sid Law, I want to say last week. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's been, you know, he's been in the belly of the beast and, and he makes some valid points in, in the piece about, you know, if you start from zero every summer, you're going to stay at zero. And he's right that there's never been the opportunity to build anything even remotely substantial there. And I mean, look, we've talked about the, the amount of money wasted down the years with Sunderland and, and things like that. It's just a club that. It's a club for me that even its foundations have major cracks in them, and that's a real concern. It's it's a shame because again I think there are a lot of good people at that club. It has a lot of potential, 
um, largely founded in the support, realistically. But it, it just never seems to come to fruition, and it's it's quite frustrating, honestly. It is. It's quite frustrating to watch. Do you want to get someone in who's sort of an old um, an old hand at keeping teams up? Do you have a do you know do you have, do you have a problem? Uh, there's only one man that you need to get in at this point. And he, I know we all know he's out of a job because he very publicly lost one not long ago. It's big Ham Allardyce. There's only one answer. He is the answer. I think Sutherland found yeah, a point taking back, do you reckon? I mean, if, uh, I think he's pretty busy doing speeches out in other countries at the moment. But, oh, yeah, is that gone um, Probably. Um, I'd, I imagine it wouldn't be the most terrible PR thing for him to be out there sort of you know, just showing what he can do, what you're missing out on. You know, like when you see freshly broken up couples who sort of go and post stuff on Instagram, like never been happier. Um, you know, you imagine that Big Sam would have a similar shaped Instagram right now. Uh, feeling fresh, feeling fis- frisky. I would love to see that. Let's talk about Bournemouth 6, Hull City 1, the biggest result of the weekend in terms of scoreline, Chris. I mean, as good as Bournemouth were, Hull were abysmal. I, for me, it's so hard to look past the summer and what the owner did do well, more specifically what he didn't do, which was back the team financially. Um, and that that last few days where they were signing like four or five players in the space of a few hours, it was, it was just criminal. We, you know, whenever we look at the newly promoted sides that stay up so often, it's because they had a fairly meticulous and details planned for the summer on how to sign players, who to sign, backups to the prime targets, etc., etc. And Hull just didn't have any of that. And and again, to, to almost mirror the answer that I gave relative to Sunderland, it's a shame because I don't think any set of supporters deserve that. I think they deserve the sporting integrity that their ownership should support the team financially. Um, and the idea that you know they were on the in the midst of selling the club, so why put money in? I just think that is it's just bad form. Essentially, yes, it's it's you know is it the Big Lebowski that that quote is from? You know, you're not wrong, but you're a, a thing. Um, you can say it. It's it's that it, to me. That's what that is. It's it's mm. the idea of why are you screwing over the supporters. Um, Granted, I don't think they've had the best relationship during his his tenure there because he wanted to change the name and things like that. But even still, it's yeah, it's it's not pretty. And and you saw that today with the fact that again, a, a lot of their team, without wishing to sound too cruel with it, a lot of their team are Championship players. They're they're really not Premier League players. And and when you bring in someone like Ryan Mason to be the conductor of that orchestra, I don't think you're going to have a, a very strong season, which is no disrespect to him. I just don't think he's built for that position right now. I think he could be moving down the line, but where he's at now, the amount of game time he's had as a starter consistently week in, week out, I don't think he's he's ready for that leading role. It's it's quite a turnaround for, for, for Mike Feeling. He's Premier League manager a month in August. They're now without a win since August Hull uh, in Feeling's first permanent game. Yeah. This result comes along, 17 goals conceded in the last four matches. The defence is obviously the big problem, Lawrence. He tried you, to... What makes you think that? He, he tried to, to shift things around. He brought in Harry Maguire, who ended up losing possession 13 times in the game, which definitely didn't help. But 
is there a way for Mike Phelan to try and shore things up until January where they need to try and bring in some bodies there, maybe some experience or... I don't, I don't see how they can get out of it, really. They don't really seem to have enough personnel who are experienced in, that posi- in any of the positions. Um, it's, it's very clear that they are trying, that there are things that Phelan's trying. Uh, maybe, he, I, I think he said it in a post-match interview, he, his ideas are maybe a little bit too elaborate, um, which can sound like a humble brag, but I'm, I assure you, I don't think Phelan is that sort of guy. Uh, maybe I'm too clever for these guys. Yeah, no one's saying that. Um, but but uh, I think at the same time, they came up against a side who I think a lot of people have thought have been waiting to unleash on another team. And I think Bournemouth sort of saw this as a way to flex their muscles a little bit. And, you know, because they've got some players in that side that they don't want to show off, but I think they are also showboats a little bit or they sort of want to show their prowess. Um, you know, Jordan Ibe, um, Stanislas, not these Wilson, um, and you know, I, I think it was quite a satisfying. I think it was more of a satisfying uh, performance for Bournemouth than it was for uh, Hull City. I just feel sorry for them. They have such a small squad. That recovery time is going to be really difficult for them. No matter if they have a week or not, there's not going to be any rotation really within the team realistically. Yes, and the big game against Stoke coming up next. Um, obviously, Stoke will be looking to build on that win as we just spoke about. So we'll see if Hull can turn things around elsewhere. This weekend, Man City dropping points at home to Everton. What do you make of this one, Lawrence? Two missed penalties, much to the the chagrin of fantasy managers everywhere. Kevin De Bruyne missing first, and then Aguero. Unless, of course, um, people always think of the attackers in these situations. No one ever thinks of the goalkeepers, do they? That's very true, but um, I'd say Stecklenburg is a rare pick. Uh, maybe not for an Everton fan, um, and that's also the, the weekends where it becomes a little bit. Maybe it becomes a little bit more unpredictable. I kind of like that. Thanks, Fanjul. Um, you know, I think also that was sort of a funny preview. I was actually listening to the Football Rumble preview uh, post games, and one of them they said, uh, uh, "Oh, Sergio Aguero missed a penalty whilst away on international duty. Do you think that'll have any bearing on the game?" And they were like, "Nah, probably not." Um, and obviously he did. Um, obviously, that's going to be frustrating. I think Pep sort of spoke about this. You know, there are going to be days like this where we're going to have things, um, problems like this with teams. I guess the problem for Pep is that actually when he's been tested, it's been a couple of times where he's not, his team hasn't stood up to the test. But I think Chris has made the salient point on the podcast that seems less to do with the system very often and more to do with individual errors or more to do with sort of small things that happen within the wider picture. So... You know, I'd, I'd just be careful as to writing City off. I, you know, I think Pep's always a much bigger picture man, and it sort of causes you to have to look in the same way. Uh, Kuma's going to be very happy though because, you know, uh, the, the system works. Um, but I guess the the problem is that within that system, he's got the same problem as Pep that the individual mistakes almost cost them the game. Hmm. It's uh, obviously they're still top of the league, Chris. I don't think anyone's writing off Manchester City, but. In terms of struggling to win that game, in terms of struggling to break Everton down, I mean, are there any concerns for you losing to Tottenham last week, now the draw against Everton? Uh, I, I made a comment to um, a journalist I was sitting next to you at uh, Newcastle Brentford yesterday when they went one up behind. And it's the idea that there are some weekends that you've just got to lose. You can't win every weekend. Having watched the game, I think you have to give immense credit to Everton for the way they prepared, I think they knew exactly what they wanted to do with that game. I don't, I don't think there was any fortune in it. 
Um, of course, there's a, there's an air of individual brilliance about Stekelenburg that I don't think you will face every week. That's important to note. Um, as I say, I think you have to give it the context of it's a draw that we're treating like a loss. And I think that microcosm within itself tells you about the standard that we're holding Guardiola to. And I think to a degree it's almost an unattainable standard because we are expecting him to to blow away all of the competition. And that's just not realistically achievable. Even the the best team this league's ever had, in inverted commas, only went unbeaten this season. They didn't win every game. They still drew matches as well. So, you know, I, I, th- I think just needs a little bit of uh, common sense supplied to it at times. City without a win in three in all competitions. Then coming up, of course, against Barcelona midweek. Guardiola returning to the camp now. A game everyone's looking forward to, Chris. I mean, how do you think Guardiola's going to approach this one? He's described his former team as machines going into this game. Says he's expecting them, of course, to dominate possession. It's it's for me. It's it is a fan, fantastically fascinating game because of what it represents. Someone that was seen as the instigator of, of a huge part of Barcelona's recent history against the person that is now trying to to move it forward into that next generation and and theoretically assuming he stays there for a few more years, we'll have to phase out many of the key components of the side that Guardiola built in the first place. Previews up for um, for Barcelona and Manchester, Manchester City later in the week, as with all of our other Champions League stuff. Um, so go over there on, I want to say Tuesday, uh, and you'll see them on Twitter. Ooh, Twitter video, yeah. I love it. Twitter, Twitter video is the way to go now. It's much more rewarding. Elsewhere, Crystal Palace somehow got beaten by West Ham 1 0. Lawrence. No one knows how this happened. Just move on. Uh, no one knows how it happened. It's a mystery. No one knows how things like this happen. Uh, apart from the fact that obviously two managers who very often live on the edge came up against each other. Um, it, it was a it really. It, it, it was an exciting game, actually. Um, the, the, don't let the red card fool you, actually, because I think a lot of people sort of feel like Crespo was unfairly. Uh, treated, uh, if you like. Um, really exciting match. And obviously, Benteke also missed a penalty within that. So a lot of missed penalties this weekend. Um, so there's... You know what? It was bloody exciting to be a West Ham fan because I think a lot of West Ham fans are sort of um, frustrated about having to be at home uh, because they, they're toxic atmosphere. And as soon as someone says the atmosphere is toxic, then the atmosphere becomes even more toxic. I think they're very happy to be away. Um yeah, and I think ultimately it's also very exciting or slash um, good that it was someone who, apart from Payet, uh, who was the, the draw. And actually, I think in this game, I'm right in saying that Payet was subbed off. Um, or actually, maybe I need to. Yeah, Payet was subbed off in the 78th minute. Um, so, you know, some, some, some positives there for West Ham against a side who are notoriously up and down. So again, don't take too much from this one. I don't know if it's going to lead to a long-term trend. Mm. Second win of the season for them. They're coming up against Sunderland at home next. So you expect them to get uh, another three points and get back-to-back wins for the first time this season and look to build on that. Hey guys, how you doing? We're just going to pause the podcast for just a second so we can talk about our sponsors, FanDuel. Great guys. Great guys down at FanDuel. And they're running lots of competitions during Champions League week. Chris you know it's good to enter during the Champions League week because you get a bit more choice outside of your own league, right? Yeah, exactly. And 
more importantly, you can put your knowledge really to the test because you've got so many competing forces, so many different countries. It's uh, it's one for the the real tipster to, to kind of make some easy cash. Well, if you think you're a real tipster, then you can get into the £3,000 Tuesday Trophy division, which is it's a good it's a good competition. It's only £5 to enter, and you stand to win uh, part of that 3 k in cash prize. So, Chris, if we're going to give him one uh, recommendation this week, I'm going to give you... A, a big a big name that you can pick and you can tell me who you go for. Cristiano Ronaldo, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, G Bale, Iguain, or and get this one, Ben Yedder. Sevilla versus Leon. You got you got an outside name there. I'm just I'll I'll put that one in. Just below him, you could also have Dybala, who's also playing uh ooh. Playing, playing pretty well at the moment. So, who would you, who would you go for then? Give me some good candidates. You got Higuain and Dybala going to Leon. Got Benyeda, Dinamo Zagreb. That's that's a, a scoreable game. Which is yeah, I think a new I phrase thinking. that we've just coined for this. Yeah, it's a scoreable. And then uh, don't forget, actually, uh, this is the thing that gets me a little bit with with Real Madrid is they're playing Legia, who have become somewhat of the I don't want to say whipping boys, but. Um, you but know, you're going to say whipping boys, but they're, they they're not. They're not strong. They, they've struggled. Yeah, they've, they've stumbled in European competition. Mm-hmm. I believe is how their press officer would say. True said. Yeah, it's one. It's one of those things that you just want to go for Real Madrid because it's so obvious. Did you go for, um, for Ronaldo? That's what I'm questioning at this point. Ronaldo is frighteningly consistent in this competition. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be our recommendation this week. Uh, as if you needed us to tell you. Uh, you should go with Cristiano Ronaldo in FanDuel. But um, this is where it gets really interesting, is how deep an anorak do you want to go into this? Because obviously last week, Ronaldo had his big argument in training with Marcello and Co. So could that see Bale be the most likely? This is where your knowledge comes in. This is where your your gut is firmly tested. So and yeah, that's a good point. Actually, you got to go with your gut on Fanjul because Ronaldo scored the last of the six goals that Real Madrid uh, scored on the weekend. So is it sort of the, the 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 crowning redemption for him? And obviously, Isco had a great performance, scoring two goals. So there's some there's a few choices in there for you. I'm still going Cristiano because I think it's the kind of narrative that Cristiano Ronaldo comes through on. Uh, but maybe you guys want to go with Bale. Uh, either way, go and enter the £3,000 Tuesday trophy to win your share of 3 k Not Not least that, but I can also encourage you to go on a Wednesday to uh, the Wednesday war chest. I love the way that they put the alliteration in here. Anyway, uh, we will now let you get back to the podcast. But if you do head over to fanjewel.co.uk and put in the code I am the whole when you sign up, that's I am the whole then you guys will be doing us a huge favour and at the same time you'll get a great offer from FanDuel. Uh, a lot of terms and conditions apply. You have to be A, in the UK and B, over the age of 18. But apart from that, it's actually pretty straightforward and simple. So get yourself over there, fanduel.co.uk and see what offer is waiting for you when you put in the code I am the whole. Let us know how you get on. Elsewhere. Southampton today winning 3-1 against Burnley. Uh, Charlie Austin with two goals against his former club. 
Yeah, he he was he was all right today, wasn't he, Austin? Um, he was pretty useless in the first half, but he seemed to pick pick himself up by the second. I, I like Southampton. I, I think they can really fly under the radar this season. There's some components in there that have been shrewdly acquired. I think Hoiberg, uh, classy, again didn't arrive this summer, but it, for me, he is a, a talented player um, and a bit of proof that there's still value in the Dutch market. Burnley, I think. Burnley will always work hard this season. That's a guarantee I think you will find with them. There will be instances where that industry will simply be outperformed by superior talent. And that's what essentially happened today. Southampton up to eighth then, as you said, Chris, flying under radar somewhat. I think some people sort of doubting them at the start of the season when Claude Puel came in. Um, people again questioning, you know, the, the turnover of staff, the turnover of managers. Can they... Can they steady themselves? And every year they seem to do it. And they're unbeaten in nine Premier League games at home so far. So a very impressive run, stretching back to last season for them. Uh, the final Premier League game of the weekend to discuss is Middlesbrough nil, Watford 1. It was a classic in all the worst ways. I think <laughs> uh, Middlesbrough, I think Karank is a little bit too stubborn for his own good. I think he's he's so set on the system and the players that he likes, he's not willing to switch it around. Um, I think a good example of that is Adama Traore, who, granted, you talk to any Villa fan, they'll tell you he is pace, he's energy, he can dribble, he can't do much else after that, uh, in the sense that his end product is severely lacking. I don't think that's going to change if you keep giving him 10, 15 minutes to try and do something. I would argue he needs a little bit longer. And... You compare him with Christian Stuani, who I think started the season well. You know, he managed to chip in with the odd goal now and again. Uh, I think he got one against Sunderland. Was it one? No, it was 2-2, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was 2-2. He got the goals against Sunderland. But that shouldn't buy you forever because this is the thing with, with Middlesbrough. They have to they have to establish themselves early on if they want to stay in this division past this season. And going back down again will be, I think, a much bigger drop for a club like them than anyone else because I don't think they have players that would be happy to hang around mm. expect, in that division. You'd expect them to to try to establish strong home form um, to, to give them a chance of staying up. They've only actually won one point at home so far. Looking poor going forward as well, Alvaro Negredo. He scored on the opening day of the season. There's such optimism about him joining the club. Hasn't looked great since, it has to be said. But Watford, though, Lawrence. Um, Watford, though. Watford, though. Looking good underwater, Matt Sari. Um, they're up to 10th in the table. Um, yeah. An impressive start for them. Yeah, beginning to beginning to shape up. Um, the, the thing with Watford, <laughs> I think the thing with a lot of Premier League sides this season is it's going to be uh, more so than ever looking at the sides they can beat um, to try and remain up. Um, and I think Matt Sarri is a manager I think a lot of people were very willing to sort of write off and there was probably good reason for that. You know, they they had a poor result against Burnley, but before that they had a fantastic result against Manchester United. Um, they, they've been involved in some thrilling games this season. And early on, I think they were able to exploit certain weaknesses of uh, certain sides. I think Matt Zari is very good at doing that. But I think there are going to be a few matches this season where teams are left frustrated. I'm actually really looking forward to the next game 
um, which is uh, Watford against, I think they're away to Swansea. There was a reason I was looking through Swansea fixtures for this. Um, they're away to Swansea. And that's going to be a really interesting match because obviously they come up against Bob Bradley and there's going to be the ultimate motivation there that actually it's someone that Bob Bradley probably feels he can line up quite uh, confidently against. Um, so that's that's going to be a great match. And I think probably a, a truer test of where Watford are this season um, than maybe Middlesbrough. Mm, Middlesbrough away to Arsenal next weekend so things don't get any easier. Right, that's all the Premier League action rounded up. Join us in part two, where we're talking Blackpool, FIFA, Mauro Icardi, and looking forward to Liverpool, Manchester United. Blackpool. Lawrence, talk to me. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, everyone knows the situation with Carl Oyston over there. Um, we've covered it quite a lot in the podcast, how frustrating uh, it's been for the, the Blackpool fans. They've slowly seen their club slip away from them. Um, Oyston, who was banned last year for calling the fan. Uh, a fan, a massive retard, thick twat, uh, special needs fucktard. Mm. Um, and he, he apparently is still looking to sue 10 of 150 of the fans who invaded the pitch during a protest uh, in last year. Um, apparently says the rest will stay banned until they sign an acceptable behavior order. Uh, one thing that Charlton's owners have also done, and we all know what happened at Charlton at the weekend, where 3,000 plastic pigs were thrown onto the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I think these are, if I'm completely honest, I support each one of these uh, protests. Yeah, because when uh, you see the, the owners, especially in the case of Blackpool, treat their fans with such contempt, how could you not support what the fans are doing? Yeah, exactly. and I think the fans are looking to take the, the club back. And a great way to take a club back is to stop the product that these guys are trying to sell from happening because it will make them more difficult to work with. Um, so I, I agree with the way they're going about it, to be honest. You can't hijack a club. That's part of the problem is I think a lot of owners sort of think, well, you know, we, at least we can continue with the football. Okay, great. Then play behind closed doors and see how much longer that continues because your product changes. I think that's the, the problem is, you know, as much as we talk about the hot air that fan channels sort of throw out there about their fans being the most important voice, which is partly true, but I think some people are capitalizing on that uh, cynically, um, you know, others are sort of embracing that. Um, and I think, you know, that the point is with fans is that they are in the stadium. They do have a physical presence and that does make a big difference, not only to the club, but the players as well. And I think the players know that the fans are frustrated. That must be, um, well, that, you know, there's something there for us to get behind and support, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even if it is a, a temporary cause and something which we hope is going to change soon. If you didn't see the, the Charlton, protest i'm sure you did um but it was a joint protest of charlton and coventry fans suspending players essentially by throwing as lawrence says the small plastic pigs onto the pitch um as a symbol of will the owners ever change their ways pigs might fly therefore you know it makes sense um but yeah as you say lawrence great for them to stand up um to the owners of their club i mean charlton have done a number of protests um recently a number of memorable protests so long may it continue until hopefully uh, there are changes at the club hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Elsewhere, FIFA. We briefly discussed uh, last week on the pod, I believe, the, the notion of the new president, Gianni Infantino, wanting to expand the World Cup to 48 teams. But that's, that's not the only changes that he's looking to make, is it, Lawrence? No. In what they're calling FIFA 2.0, oh, the vision dear. for the future. Um, it's a nice hollow rebranding there. I, like that. Do you, I mean, do you, think, uh, do, you, do you think that it'll be better to stop calling it FIFA? Uh, what, just completely change the name and hope that everyone forgets? I mean, literally, the, 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 the irony would be that actually... Uh, they should upgrade and call it Pro Evolution Soccer. Um, yeah. I'm not sure Konami would be, uh, they wouldn't be over over the moon with that, I'm sure. Well, no, it would also mean that uh, they'd also lost some of the rights to the names and then have to start calling some of the teams like Man Red, um, etc. They call it FIFA 2.0, Lawrence, as you said. Changing the name, but has anything else changed? I mean, um, Well, he said he's drawing under a line. Under a t- under oh, a tough run of disputed headlines, um, he says uh, over the Panama Papers, "I go my way. We have embraced reforms. We have embraced transparency. Eh. We have embraced good governance. We have turned a page." Um, yeah, in a Should, way. Have we seen the uh, opposite of that? Uh, well, I suppose we wouldn't have, because obviously, you know, if, if we didn't see transparency by the very in- inherent uh, nature of a lack of transparency, we wouldn't know. Um, so that's part of the problem is that actually, it, you know, it's all well and good to go, I'm being more transparent, uh, but don't look over there. Uh, the problem is that essentially, if that was the case, then we maybe wouldn't see some of the World Cup still in the same places. We'd be quite, we'd be asking much wider questions. And again, it sort of seems like uh, we're doing the bare minimum uh, to change, but there are still massive problems which still need to be addressed. Uh, and that's maybe part of the problem is that, you know, it's all well and good sort of saying from here on out, we'll be completely transparent, uh, but we'll still continue with some of the old policies because we've signed contracts on them. You can't. <laughs> You can't really, you know, you can't really do that. Um, there are some funny ones. That, I mean, uh, uh, helping define new era, the Secretary General uh, Fatma, I want to say Samora says, uh, revealing how FIFA uh, saved £99,500 last week by uh, using a cheaper five-star hotel for executives, apparently mainly because they didn't want uh, to stay in the same hotel uh, because... Apparently, all the hotels that people were sort of uh, arrested in have become soiled in a way. Uh, that money will be invested in football. Um, and apparently, they leaked information uh, five months ago on Infantino's uh, ex- ex- expenses. 
including including a one thousand one hundred pound tuxedo, which actually sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, Six hundred and sixty pounds on flowers uh, sounds more unreasonable. Um, on top of his one point five one point one five basic salary and all those bonuses of car and uh, house and uh, apparently has a pretty reasonable monthly allowance as well of about fifteen hundred pounds. So uh, yeah, business as uh, usual. I think. It's not. Yeah, it's not going well. Let's put it that way. My absolute favourite story about um, FIFA expenses was uh, the Russian. I believe it was uh, a member of the Russian FA who <laughs> who had sort of taken exception to the English press uh, calling out corruption in, in the Russian FA. He wasn't having any of it. Um, but it turned out that you know a few days later it came out that he'd claimed for a hundred breakfasts uh, during a twenty-day trip. <laughs> to Canada so it's just like the most brazen just like (laughs) just did not care whatsoever I mean that really is another level isn't it did he also bring his own plate with him yeah (laughs) I think he might have Um, anyway um, moving on Mauro Icardi uh, has also been in the news Chris so he he had a, a bit of a fallen out with Inter's ultras after a 3-1 defeat to, to Sassuolo because the way he tells the story is he went to give his shirt to uh, a small child who'd asked for it in the crowd and the, the, this is what he claims is that the ultras snatched it away and threw it back and he said that in the wake of that his teammates all c- considered him a hero because he stood up to the ultras and no player had really done that and etc cetera, etc cetera. And this was all written in a book that he's just released, and he's just been pimping around uh, Milan at the minute with some signings and things like that. Probably not the best race to use, but all right. Um, and he he also said in the book that if it was kind of actually, I, I don't know if it was in the book, so apologies for that. I'll retract that. He had also said though that if the ultras wanted to kind of start something for one of a better phrase, you know, he would bring. I think he said a hundred criminals from Argentina and have them all killed and kind of well, you know, we'll see what how tough they really are. And understandably, Inter's uh, ultras and, and Curvaso didn't take too too kind of kindly to this, and so they displayed a banner at the weekend that um, essentially called him a little piece of shit and said, you know, you use this child as some kind of excuse, you're not a captain, you're not a man, etc., etc., because they claim the story is completely fictitious, that there was no child or anything like that. Um, to top things off, he misses a penalty, and the Inter fans actually cheer him missing a penalty um, to kind of highlight the division between the ranks, I guess. Um, Ikari is such a funny, complicated guy, Um Yes, as you alluded to there, the whole Wandanara thing, that isn't very pretty. That isn't exactly the, the easy situation to navigate. He's already said sorry for it, for the, the comments relating to the criminals. Um, I sense on the back of advice from Zanetti, who said, we will be talking to him about this. There will be consequences for this because you can't treat the fans that way. They are the, I don't think he said lifeblood of the club, but he made statements to that end. It's just very stupid. I think I think the only positive to come from it potentially is if you're a club in England looking for a forward, because while he did just sign a new contract recently until I want to say 2021, I don't think Inter would be terribly disappointed if a bid came in from now, because I imagine fans would would really want to put pressure on that deal to be done. 
Um, he is in fine goal scoring form, though. I don't think you can contest that. He's a wonderful goal scorer. Um, it it does very much seem like it was just last year or just yesterday I was watching him for Sam Doria when he came on into the league. And he's he's one of those very typical situations of a player that is exceptionally talented, but has the potential to be a bit of a knob as well for one of the better players. <laughs> yeah. Happens quite a lot in Italy, though, doesn't it? It's a bit of a weird one. Well, I mean, look, the the thing with the Maxi Lopez thing, that, that did kind of hang over him for a while. I don't necessarily think it was entirely because of who he was shacking up with. I think they've got married, they're having a child together now. So you would argue, yes, you know, it, it, this was not a fling. He didn't essentially destroy a friendship over a, uh, you know, a, sh- a short-term thing. The issue personally that I find a little bit unsettling is how readily he paraded Lopez's children around, because yeah, I think that's a little worse. bit disingenuous to to him as a father. Now, granted, people who support Icardi will tell you that actually Maxi Lopez wasn't the greatest dad, he wasn't the greatest husband, and a lot of the sympathy that's fostered for him is a very misguided. I think the truth lies in the middle, and I think, honestly, Icardi can still be an arse, and Lopez can still be a bad husband in, in equal measure. The two ideas can coexist in the same space. Certainly not peacefully. I don't think anything exists peacefully in that situation at the minute. It's it's not fun. I mean, that's the thing. Like I say, Cardi is a very good footballer. And if I was Arsenal, I'd be tempted to ask into how much they want for him, personally. Mm. Welcome back to the Rumorator. It's Monday morning and Adam Boltwood needs <laughs> content. Uh, starting off, with... like you said, Chris, it is on the pitch, he produces the results, but off the pitch, it just seems he can't help but attract, uh, can't help but attract criticism, really. Um, mm, but because he's so good, he'll, he'll, he'll not be short of offers. I mean, if, if you want to be hypothetical for a second, if Inter turn around and say, okay, look, we're just going to release you, we don't like you anymore, just get lost. He would have a wealth of clubs. I mean, even if Inter said, look, we want 40 for him, 40, 40 million euros, he'd have a lot of, I, th- I think the, if I remember right, the fee that was quoted in the summer was around 53 million. When you consider that Higuain went for double that, and you look at some of the prices being paid for strikers, it's not the worst deal in the world. He's got a long, long part of his career left ahead of him. There were reports last week that Messi isn't a fan either. Those are the reasons that uh, he's not in the in the in the Argentina squad, Cardi, because. Messi said, nah, he's not coming in, mate. I'm not a fan of, of what he's been doing. Um, so, yeah, always but, attracting controversy. But, but then in, in some regards, that's kind of the interesting, to digress just briefly, that's probably one of the interesting dynamics of the Argentine national team is that let's, again, for argument's sake, say it's Icardi running through at the Copa America in, in the summer against Chile. There's a good chance he scores that and they, they lift a trophy. So... Again, it's one of those things where I imagine I'm not the first person to voice this opinion. If someone could just get a hold of him, perhaps his wife or his agent, oh wait, that's the same person, could just grab a hold of him and <laughs> just settle down. That yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't think she's going to have a, a good perspective on the situation, as you, as you alluded to there. Um, she's a bloody agent, mate. I fucking hope she does. <laughs> <laughs> let's... Um... Let's move on finally then uh, to, to talk about Liverpool Manchester United. We had a little preview on Wednesday. Uh, Dave and Lawrence put their bets on. They made a score prediction. Um, but coming up close to the game, Lawrence, it's, a, it's an exciting one because for so long, I don't know about you as a Liverpool fan, but it's felt like 
Liverpool Man United is talked up as the, the biggest game in England historically. The two teams are most successful in England. Uh, when they face off, it's always seen as, as such a huge fixture. But it's been lacking that box office the last few years. Be it the players yeah. out on the pitch, be it the managers. Um, it just didn't seem to have that allure. But Monday night, Liverpool on form. Talk of a title challenge. Jurgen Klopp's there. The, the, the players are starting to perform. You've got Mourinho at Manchester United. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the big names. It's, it's mouth-watering. Really isn't. Yeah, for for a long time it was more self adulation, I think, than anything else. Or like we are still the big boys, you know, we're still relevant. Um, I think a lot of people did still look forward to it because it, you know, I think there was a lot of frustration around the fixture. There was people tried to almost bill it as um the the kind of thing where it was a bit more like a Rangers v Celtic sort of tie. And in many ways, I, I think it was because there were you know there's a big long history there. We always hear from certain people about um because that's all they've got um. And I think now going into it, there is something real in the now for both sides. I think Sado Mane actually just said, I think I read it earlier in the Liverpool Echo. He basically just said, we're going to beat United. And I was a bit like, I'm not sure I 100% appreciate that as a view, because obviously that can have the um, the impact that, you know, if you do end up losing, um, then, you know, it comes back to bite you. But I guess I do also appreciate the brazen approach. Um, and... I think tactically, you know, we've already looked at that a little bit, um, but I think, you know, Liverpool are in a, a really good place. I will be interested to see how Mourinho shuts them down um, and uses the likes of um, yeah, Pogba, etc. in the field to get away. It is, it is going to be fascinating. And also the fact it's Anfield is a great tie. Mm. And there was so, actually a, a story that emerged a couple of days ago. I believe it was on uh, joe.co.uk, Tony Barrett, with the report about how yes. Jose Mourinho was almost Liverpool manager once upon a time. It's a bit of a funny one because um, uh, Mourinho has since sort of said in the press that he would never be Liverpool manager for very specific reasons that only he knows and Liverpool know. I don't know necessarily what that means, whether that's got anything to do with the situation or something else, but apparently uh, what Barrett calls a full charm offensive was gone on uh, when Mourinho and his agent were in uh, the country uh, before he signed for Chelsea because apparently he wanted to go to Liverpool. I partly breathe a bit of a sigh of relief, actually, that he didn't, because I see what state he left Chelsea in and what state he leaves a couple of other clubs in. Um, and actually, I'm oh, kind of happy... Premier League titles and trophies and stuff. Well, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, Chris, but at the same time, you know, do, have Chelsea fully recovered as a side ever from the first time that Mourinho was there? And no, when they I won stuff. That's, surely that's the... The well, um, not, number one, no? Yeah, but I mean, well, no, not really. Um, because Not to win stuff? Not, not. I mean, not to win stuff. You're talking about short-termism, essentially. Chris is... Well, the short-term, the short-term, the short-termism of, of winning stuff is obviously uh, the immediate aim. Um, but I think maybe, and I think that's probably where Liverpool as a club market themselves differently because, of you know, they talk about heritage, all those sort of things, what they've done in the past. I don't know if Mourinho was also the sort of best fit as a manager because I think, you know, you A, you don't, it probably would have made Liverpool fans fucking insufferable um, because if you, you know, combine an arsehole with some of those other fans who just love to chat shit, then that uh, becomes difficult. At the same time, I think it sort of goes against in the past what the Liverpool fans like to believe the club is built on, which is 
I don't even know if that is true. I don't know how much of it still holds because of capitalism, those sort of things, but sort of it's club for everyone. And I don't know if Mourinho fully embraces or embodies those ideas at every club he's been to. He seems a little bit more like a gun for hire. And I think that's probably why now that contrast of having Jurgen Klopp there allows them um, to almost feel a bit like they're taking the moral high ground or sort of, you know, this is our guy, that's your guy. And there's a, there is a big contrast between Klopp and Mourinho and even the perception, even if it's really just marketing, which differentiates the truth. And genuinely, as a little fact, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would rather not have a Premier League title um, and avoid Mourinho than uh, have a Premier League title and have won it with a manager that I don't feel particularly affectionate about, affectionate about now. I guess my view is just I. The club's never won a Premier League title. I, I don't, I don't think beggars can be choosers at this point. But I don't know if I'm begging for a Premier League title. Is what I'm saying. No, but the uh, club is though. That's the point. I don't know. So much of the, the the heritage you talk about is founded on success and being the best, and they haven't been well, the not best. Really, not really. In at I... least over a decade. I mean, and that's uh, assuming that you consider the Champions League as a marker that you are the best in Europe. After I mean, that, that, they came exceptionally close with the Premier League title under under Rogers, who and really is is in a similar school to Mourinho in a lot of ways. He's not as heavily invested in the psychological games but he certainly believes his own hype the difference is is that Mourinho has a fairly stellar CV to back it up yeah but I mean Chris you can't really say that Rogers and Mourinho are in a, a similar you know you're you're almost baiting someone here to no I'm not I'm not saying they're identical I, I would say there's similarities in the sense that they both believe they are special well they're both ego I mean to say yeah, they're, they're both, both founded ego I mean but well, I mean, the, the, the point, the point would be that Rogers, Roger, there is there is a sort of naivety about Rogers which makes him a little less. Yeah, naivety uh, or ignorance. I mean, those two go, two go hand in hand essentially. Um, but I mean, even then, you'd say that you know, if, I guess that's Liverpool fans. Then you know, a lot of them are going to be talking about uh, great wins, those sort of things. But I guess you could also talk about just atmosphere, people. Um, you know, when they talk about Shankly, I don't know how many people even talk about all the wins. Um, I guess that's the problem is that actually, you know, you need someone who's going to line up with the way that you market your club. And I don't know if the marketing of Mourinho and the marketing of, to put it very bluntly, the marketing of Mourinho and marketing of um, Liverpool go hand in hand. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I think that's, we've, you know, we've extolled the virtues on uh, a documentary over the past few weeks of Jurgen Klopp and how well he lines up with Liverpool because, you know, Liverpool need a messiah. I think you're right in saying that Liverpool probably would have embraced him and there would have been a match there because Mourinho loves himself, especially as the idea of a messiah and someone who's run off uh, an ego side of things. But I definitely think that Klopp feels like a better fit. And at the same time, I think most people would say in the next few years, uh, you know, if Klopp plays great football and gives Liverpool fantastic memories in those times, then as hard as it's going to be to sort of go out and sort of say to people, well, they didn't win anything in that time, um, despite their exuberant confidence, still probably something there that people can be proud of, I guess, which is great football and some really good memories, which is essentially, you know, why people still have confidence in Jurgen Klopp now, um, because of some of the memories that he's already given them from last season, which is above... That's the problem is actually, you know, you'd imagine that some of those memories for Chelsea fans and for other fans that he's been at their club of may be a little soiled because of the way that he left the team. 
the, the, the funny thing is also obviously that uh, he then would have been at Anfield under a previous ownership. And we all know how that ownership broke down. So, uh, you, you know, there would have been, and that would have been even more dramatic. That You know, the good thing for Liverpool at the time was actually that their manager was not someone who was particularly vocal. Um, you know, it was Benitez. He was sort of manoeuvred out of the club. And there were a lot of politics that went on behind closed doors. And you get the feeling that Mourinho wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And it could have been more of a self-destruct button. I mean, you know, we don't know that because it never happened, but... Mm. You know, a lot of destruction happened at Liverpool in a very short space of time. Um, and it still could happen now. I mean, you know, Sunes was saying over the past week that his main worry is that Liverpool might just burn out coming in the season. Um, yeah, I mean, what so, did you make of, we heard Jurgen Klopp make a few comments um, uh, before the game, hitting out of the Christmas schedule along, that, that, along those lines, essentially saying that um, Liverpool are going to have to play twice within 48 hours over Christmas, um, saying that he's not happy with those fixtures, saying that essentially they could risk injuries. I mean, uh, did you see him hit out of the? He hit out a, a particular uh, journalist. Did you see this one? I didn't see which journalist he is out at in particular. So he's he, not a journalist. He's a fitness coach. He hit out a guy called. Uh, oh yeah, that yeah that guy. He yeah Raymond he's a gun for hire. For hire. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a gun. He's a gun for hire. He's a voice yeah. for hire. And he's basically been he's been on social media a few times, um, not just to to hit out at Klopp. There's certain other managers, but he's he's always commenting upon injuries in Jurgen Klopp's teams. Essentially, saying that the, the reason there are these injuries, the reason there are hamstring injuries, is because it's Jurgen Klopp's fault. Essentially, the way he pushes the team too hard. Um, <laughs> so, uh, sort of calling him out there, I mean, Jurgen Klopp, saying you know. The, these fixtures come along, two and four hours, we'll get injuries. Some Dutch guy will have a poke at me on Twitter, all this sort of stuff. So it might be, as well as Suness highlighting it, do you think it's at the back of Klopp's mind? Or? Uh, I, well, I don't think it's the back. I think it's at the front of Klopp's mind because it's part of his responsibility to keep a squad fit over an entire season. I guess what, what comes with Klopp and having spoken to people about his awareness and self-awareness over the past few weeks is he realises the public forum in which this is playing out in and that if someone else, you know, I, I think what he's trying to do there is acknowledge that there is criticism of him, um, but not necessarily give it too much importance because, I mean, I guess that's the problem as a manager is that actually, you know, you, you realise you're the only, only one who truly knows what's going on within the club. Um, it, it also does seem like a very sort of easy conclusion to make. Uh, you know, he's pushing them, he's pushing them very hard, therefore they will get tired. I mean, yeah, but I don't, I guess you have criticisms either way of Klopp and also of anyone analysing from the outside without any great amount of data. Mm. Um, because there are a number, I mean, there are a number of clubs where players don't uh, allegedly get pushed very hard and they still get injuries. It's true. It's true. It'd be interesting <laughs> to see, I mean, we've spoken about before how, uh, not burnout, but Pochettino's Spurs teams the past two seasons have uh, they've slowed down essentially uh, towards the end of the season. It has. I also think it's emotional burnout for some of those players as well. Potentially, potentially. Um, on Liverpool, though, I mean, you made your score prediction, Lawrence. You're confident, uh, Chris. Are you going for a, a Liverpool win? Uh, yes. I think they're going in as favourites. I'm gonna. I'll say two one. I think you said two one as well, didn't you, Lawrence? 
yeah, mainly because I was um, backed into a corner. Pressured into it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, sure. You were peer pressured into giving us a, a score yeah. prediction. Into, yeah, exactly. Um, guys, let us know how you think it's going to end up on Twitter at the front free. Send in your questions and comments for Wednesday's midweek podcast as well. Remember to leave your reviews on iTunes before then for your chance to be comment of the week. Until Wednesday, Chris, where can the good listeners find more of you? Uh, Twitter at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Should be dropping something on Torgan Hazard this week. Ooh. Possibly even something on Mr. Mauro Icardi. Oh, that's a lovely little tease. Uh, and Lozcast, where can people find you? Uh, you will find me on well on Monday night on TFR uh, yeah, live covering the Liverpool Manchester United game. So you'll see all the bets going on there. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lozcast L O Z C A S T on Twitter. Uh, go and give me a listen there. And you'll also see all of our previews for the Champions League going out on Twitter. So head over to the Twitter if you don't really follow us there. It's great. Check out Lawrence on TFR Live on Monday night alongside Cheeksport Dave, I believe. Oh, hello. Man United v Liverpool. You see. It all makes sense. Um, do go over to the Football Republic. Do subscribe there. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Until Wednesday, enjoy Manchester United, Liverpool. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.